Good morning. Good morning. It's still bad. Thank you. Um, yeah, just thought we'd try again just to see what would happen. Didn't. I'm not doing it anymore. Don't worry. Um, <clears throat> this morning we're going to be in Second Corinthians two. If you have your Bible, you can kind of flip there. That's where we'll be talking this morning. The other day we started a series called um, "But Go." Kind of started it out of uh, Easter, and it's been going. And I thought we were going somewhere else this week, to be honest. And we're not going somewhere else this week. So uh, this morning we're going right back into that series. And really, the idea we've been talking about, which is not a new idea, it's like an idea that probably all of us are aware of, um, is that God's mission for us, His plan for us, His purpose for us, is that we, as people who've seen Jesus, would then go and share the story of what Jesus has done. That we would go and we would tell the miracles of God, not only on the cross and the empty tomb, but in our, in our lives. And I think really, honestly, we all know that, right? If you've been to church more than one time, you've heard somebody stand up and say, okay, go tell somebody about Jesus. But when you look around the church, as we've talked about the past few weeks, there's very few people, if any people, that are actually out doing that. And you're like, how do you know that? Well, not everybody in Knoxville knows that I'm a follower of Jesus, and nobody in Knoxville has ever walked up to ask. And I just assume that that's probably true for most of us, if not all of us, um, that there's just not many people out doing that. And what's crazy is there's this, um, there's this discrepancy, right? Like if, if we all know, like everybody probably in every church in Knoxville today knows that that's God's purpose and plan for us, but nobody in the church is doing that, there, there's an issue. So the past few weeks, we've not been going through talking about all the scripture where it says, go tell, go tell, go tell, go tell, because we don't know and, and we're not really aware that we're supposed to go tell. It's that we're looking for something that will actually fuel us to leave this place and to step out and to do what God's called us to do. Um, and last week, we talked about the fuel for that is the Holy Spirit. That we can know like everything God's ever said to do, but really without the Spirit of God working in us, we're never going to step out and go do those things. Now, how do you get that? Acts 2 talks about that, and I'm not going to go back and rehash all of Acts 2, but we didn't get here last week. You, you come to know Jesus. You give your life to Jesus, and when you come to know Jesus and give your life to Jesus, you... You get the Holy Spirit. It's not like I'm going to wait for it for 12 years and I'm going to go to seminary and then we're going to like do a bunch of Bible studies. And when I'm 96 years old, I'm going to start telling people about Jesus because most of us are never going to make it to 96 years old. <laughs> um, but there's not some like length, right, that we go to to start telling people about Jesus. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working in us that motivates us to go and tell people about Jesus. So that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks. And this morning we're going to do that again in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, 2 Corinthians is a letter written by a man named Paul. Probably heard of him if you've been around here very long because like the whole New Testament almost was written by him, at least most of the letters in the back of it. And this letter was written to the church at Corinth, a group of people like us who... I say we've come to know Jesus, that we've met him, we've given our life to him, church words saved, people that are church people. 
And what this letter deals with, like 1 Corinthians and every other really letter Paul ever wrote to any church, is how do we live out this new thing we call Christianity? How do we actually go and follow Jesus? And if you're like, I don't know how to follow Jesus, just newsflash for you. There's a whole book uh, about about how we can do that. So if you'll just start maybe, uh, I like Acts, but that's not really one of them. It's more of a history book. If you'll start kind of in Romans and just read to the end, there's a lot of good advice in there on what it looks like to follow Jesus because it's all the letters to the churches. And in um, 2 Corinthians, Paul again goes back and he begins talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus and to follow Jesus together as a church. In chapter 2, he gets into something that we're going to look at in just a second called the ministry of life and death. That's kind of the place we're moving to today, but I don't want to miss what he's saying before that in the context this sits in. So we're going to back up to about verse 12 where it says, A trip to Macedonia, Second uh, Corinthians 2, 12. We see Paul describes here a trip that took place, and this trip is Paul going to Macedonia. And it says, When he came to Troas, now Troas is not Macedonia, and so they have different names. When I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, it says, A door was opened to me by the Lord. 13, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus, but I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. Now, this is a little two-verse cliff note story of what takes place over in Acts 19. We see in Acts 19, um, Paul is taking the gospel, and he does end up in Macedonia, but he starts out in the city of Ephesus. Another city, there's a book, Ephesians, written to the church at Ephesus. But we see that while he's there, he's preaching the gospel. He's trying to minister to these people. He's doing what he feels like God's called him to do, which is take the gospel to all these different cities and places. And while he's in Ephesus, they kind of get the city going in an uproar, and there's actually a riot. They run Paul and his kind of protégés out of the city. He's in Ephesus, and he's doing what... God's called him to do, and it doesn't go well. There's a riot, and he gets run out of the city. He's there for the sake of the gospel because that's where God wants him, and and he ends up having to leave because these people are really going to harm him if he doesn't. And he leaves, and he goes up to Troas. And the door that he's talking about here to go to Macedonia is actually he's being pursued up through Troas. And if he doesn't get out of there and kind of cross this body of water, these people will take hold of him and they will harm him. This is actually the opposite direction that Paul is headed in these moments. We see that if we read back in Acts, he's actually headed down to Jerusalem and, and, and he's going to preach the gospel all the way down through there in his mind and his plans. And, and what we see in 19 and the beginning of 20 is that God just takes his plans and his kind of uh, ideas and he just flips those. He turns the table on those and he is pursued kind of a fear of death all the way up to, to Macedonia. Now, this is not the first time he's been to Macedonia, and it's not the first time that, that we see that uh, Paul's even failed at presenting the gospel. If you back up just a few chapters, we see that, I think it's in maybe 16, somewhere around there. Could be getting the chapter wrong. You can go read Acts later, the whole book, and you'll get it. But uh, Paul is going to present the gospel, and he's trying to go um, to, to Asia, and he's, the Holy Spirit says, we're not going to go there. 
And then he tries to go up to Bithynia, which is north of that, and the Spirit of Jesus says, we're not going to go there. And then he, he ends up in Troas, and when he's in Troas, he has a dream, and the, this man comes to him in a dream, and he says, I want you to cross over to Macedonia and help me. So he does. He listens, and he goes to Macedonia. And in Macedonia, he he's, ends up being thrown in jail. And when he's thrown in jail, uh, him and one of his buddies are worshiping God. The doors all open up, and the, the jailer actually ends up coming to know Christ and his whole family. So, so what we see over and over in these moments is Paul ends up having a plan. He has an idea. He thinks he's going to do a certain thing. He, he's, he's got his life together, and then the Holy Spirit moves in, or Jesus moves in, or somebody, <laughs> uh, God moves in, and, and he always tears down the plan. Because he has a better plan. And see, we look at that, and, and a lot of us would be frustrated by that, right? Because we have a plan, and we got things we want to do, and we, we have like our lives figured out, and we try to delegate. Well, God, if you just do this, it'll work out the way I want it to. And maybe that's not the way it's supposed to happen. So this is happening to Paul, and, and what we expect to read in like 21 is Paul quit. He got frustrated. He got mad at God, and he yelled a little bit, and, and then... But if you read Acts, we don't, we don't see that. Actually, Paul gave us this little cliff note story, and then out of cliff note story comes verse 14. He says, but thanks be to God. Isn't that crazy? Okay, I was, I was going to present the gospel. I heard you say it. You said, go make disciples, and I've heard, I've been taught that, so I was going to make disciples, and I was doing that in Ephesus, and I thought I was being successful, and then you crushed that. That'd be the stopping place for most of us, right? Like, I was doing what you said, and then, then you, you just quit it. So, done. Must not have been what you wanted. But we see he just continues to move away from that, and, and he's going to present the gospel. And then God's like, nope, we're going up here. We're going to present the gospel. And, and God keeps kind of repositioning him. And in all this repositioning, he doesn't quit. Actually, what he says is, thanks be to God. God's destroying my plans. Thank God. What a, what a weird thing to say. God's wrecking the, the things that I had for my life, thanks be to God. God's got me in uh, areas that I didn't want to be in, and he's sending me the direction I wasn't even going in. I'm backtracking in these moments, but thanks be to God. And that takes some faith. I think a lot of us get in situations where we feel like God's wrecking our plans and, and that we're backtracking in life, but very rarely do we hear from anybody, but thanks be to God. Going through struggles, but thanks be to God. Going through adversity, thanks be to God. My life's just flipped upside down, thank God. Like, there's not a lot of people that speak that way, but here we see that it's possible even in those moments to speak that way. When nothing's going the way we thought it was going to go, there's at least one guy who's figured it out. And if he can figure it out, then we can figure it out. And he says, but thanks be to God. And then listen to what he says. Who always puts us on display in Christ. Thanks be to God. Here's the why, right? Because if we're going to get our life tossed upside down and we're still going to be thanking God, we've got to realize and we've got to come to the fact and we've got to be able to trust that God's doing it for a purpose. Nobody wants God just to come kick the house out from under you if God's not going to do a thing with it. And he says, but thanks be to God 
And then he goes on, he says, who always puts us on display in Christ. He says, this is, the, this is the purpose. This is what God is doing in these moments. When I was in Ephesus and there was a riot and I got run out, and then I was in Troas and, uh, and I got run out and I ended up in Macedonia, here's what God's doing when, he, when he's tearing down the plans and when I'm backtracking. Here's what God's doing. He's putting me on display. And, and then he even includes us in that, right? Puts us on display in Christ Jesus. There's a trust that comes with this. And there, there's something that maybe Paul knows that, that we're not quite in on yet. See, what God's doing in these moments as he kind of tears down the plans and, and repositions him is he's putting him in the place that people will best see Christ in him. He's repositioning Paul to the place that people will best see Christ in him. Does that mean the situation's fun? No. Riots probably weren't fun. I'm going to maybe be killed in Ephesus. Probably not a fun thought. Move up the street to Troas. And, and, and I thought, man, I was out of that. And here the situation chases me. Probably also not fun. He ends up in Macedonia. And in Macedonia, God does a thing while he's there because God's not wasting anything. So he tells this cliff note story of, hey, I was in Troas, then I ended up in Macedonia. When you backtrack, you see 19. There's like a big story there. And then he speaks to the church out of this experience, and he says, here's, here's what's happening in these moments. God's putting us on display. God's putting us on display. He's repositioning us to the place where the people around us will best see Christ in us. See, the truth is, a lot of times we look at adversity as something that's like horrible and, and we're not following God. If something bad happens to us, then it can't be the plan of God and we're out of the will of God. But maybe sometimes adversity is the plan of God. Maybe sometimes opposition is the plan of God. Maybe sometimes when everything's falling apart, that's exactly what God wants for us. And we look at that and we're like, oh, if things are happening bad to us, we've fallen out of the will of God. Maybe those things are the will of God. We talked about sovereignty the other day, right? Like a couple weeks ago, Jesus shows up and he says, I have all the authority and I'm in charge in heaven and on earth. And the truth of it is, if that's true, then all adversity is the plan of God. There's no other plan. So Paul looks at this and he's had some experience, right? He's been thrown in jail and then God's put him in the middle of the darkest place in jail, strapped to the floor, and, and God's done a work in that. And he's like, well, if God were working that, if he's repositioned me to jail and adversity to, to, to make the gospel known, then it's not really that big of a deal if I get kicked out of Ephesus and kicked out of Troas and to Macedonia. See, he's got some history to back that up and history and God not wasting that it brings trust and he he looks at this church and he, he says I can thank God in these things because I know God has a purpose in all these things God's purpose is he's always putting us on display in Christ Jesus that wherever we are today God has a goal for us today and that's that we be on display in Christ Jesus Do you know that God has a plan for your life? I'll say it again until somebody else responds. God has a plan for your life. He does. God isn't just like, hey, go figure it out. God has a purpose and a plan for every person. 
And I think sometimes we get caught up in that purpose and what we think is like, who's the person I'm going to marry and where does God want me to live and where does God want me to work and how much money does God want me to make and does God want me to have this car? And like, I'm not saying God doesn't care about all that stuff because I think God cares about everything about us. I think God cares about us and all that stuff comes with that. But you know, the Bible doesn't talk about what kind of car you're going to drive ever. And it talks a little bit about what kind of person you're going to marry, but not a whole lot. It says you got to be like equally yoked that you want a believer. If you're going to date, date a believer. They're going to pull you out if you don't. Doesn't talk anything about what kind of house. Doesn't talk about money. And again, I'm not saying God doesn't care about those things, but... We get so bogged down on all those things that we miss the plan of God for us over and over and over and over and over again because it talks a lot about God's plan for us. And God's plan for us, for all of us, is that he would put us on display in Christ Jesus. That we would display Jesus. That, that's God's plan for your life, by the way. You can get bogged down in the details and miss that, but that, that's if you're successful if you do that. Success is not money. Jesus, I don't know if he even had any. If he did, it wasn't much. Success is not like a spouse. Jesus didn't have one. Success is not a house. Jesus didn't have one. Not a car. He didn't have one. He didn't have a 401k. He didn't take vacations that we've seen anyway. That's not success. And that's what people tell us success is, but that's not God's definition of success. That's not God's stamp of success. Actually, you can have all those things and be a very unsuccessful person in the eyes of God. You have 47 houses and miss the plan of God, and you've wasted every hour that God gave you on this planet. You can have the biggest bank account in the world and miss the plan of God, and you can enter heaven if you do that spiritually bankrupt because you, you never engaged with the plan of God. And Paul looks at these people and he says, hey, thanks be to God. He's got a plan for us, and that plan is to always, wherever we are, put us on display in Christ Jesus. Not in our personality or our talents or our abilities, all those there's gifts and they, they can be added to what God's doing. Those are not exclusive to what God's doing. God's goal for us is to be on display to those around us, wherever we are, in Christ Jesus. And if we do that, We've successfully engaged with God's plan for our life. And if we don't do that, it doesn't matter what we do. We have not successfully engaged with God's plan for our life. I love that because we think God's plan for our life is to come to church. Jesus died on the cross so you could come to church. Man, what a waste. People were already going to church. Or so we could like be the best worshipers, right? Jump up, down, scream, hands up. I know every song. I know every chord to every song. When the guitar part comes in at the beginning, I know what song it is. And I only listen to Caleb. 
Jesus did not die on the cross so you could only listen to Caleb. Or like God's plan for our life is that we try to be more moral. You know that when Jesus died, he died in front of the most moral people on the planet. For the most moral people on the planet. Morality isn't even one of the fruits of the Spirit that I know of, right? And we're like, oh, they're moral. They must know Jesus and they're successful. I'm not saying go be immoral. I think if you read Romans that you can see that that's not part of God's plan for your life, but that's not also God's plan for your life. Jesus didn't die in front of moral people so they could be more moral. He died in front of people so they could see Jesus, and then when Jesus was gone, he left people to tell people about Jesus. And in this letter, he looks at the church and he says, hey, here's God's plan for your life. Here's how you're going to live a successful life in the economy of heaven. Here's what it looks like to walk in and get a well done. Go be on display wherever you are. The job that you hate today is exactly where God would have you in these moments. Not so you could fuss and complain, but so you could be on display in that place. And when God moves you from that place to another place, then your purpose is still the same. To go be on display. In the home where not everybody's a believer and you don't even know if you want to be there half the time and you like go in and out and you try to leave, maybe God will rescue you from that one day. But here's the reality. While you're there, even though it's horrible, this is what God has for you that you'd be on display to those people. And when God's done with you being on display, he'll move you. But while you're there, you're on display. Love it or hate it, that's God's goal for you. Your kids that drive you nuts, and you're like, I don't know what's going on with these people. If they're around you, God's goal for you is to be on display. And what we do is we get in these situations that we hate, and we're like, oh, I shouldn't be here. I, don't, I shouldn't be here. This is, this is awful. And what we do is we spend all our time complaining about the situation, and none of our time just believing and being on display. You know, Paul couldn't have been on display in Macedonia if he would have got there and run his mouth about how bad it was getting run out of Ephesus. I'm going to say that again because we didn't get that because we didn't like that. Paul couldn't have been on display in Macedonia if he would have got there and his whole story was, I'm so mad I got run out of Ephesus. And I'm not saying that he enjoyed getting run out of Ephesus. I'm not saying he thought he was done when he got run out of Ephesus, but there's a thing going on behind the scenes here called trust. And Paul knows it. That where I am is the best place for those around me to see Christ in me. How do, you, how do you know that? Because he writes, and I think it's Philippians, right? Thank God I'm in jail. Because, man, there's guards here. 
and the guards are coming by and they're watching me. And anytime they're around me, I'm sharing Christ in me. See, what Paul knows is what we got to get to. Adversity is really just opportunity. In the hands of a God that we can trust. And in every moment, especially the worst moments, God is positioning us. He's repositioning us to the best place for those around us to see Christ in us. And out of that moment, here's what he's writing. Thanks be to God. Who always, in every moment, in every place, has a goal. And that goal is to put us on display in Christ Jesus. And he spreads through us, and listen to this, every place, the scent or the fragrance of knowing him. He says that our lives should be undeniably obvious that we know Christ. Francis of Assisi, I looked up this quote, and I have struggles with this quote, but just hear me on this quote, said, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. That's his quote, and I know what he's saying. I don't agree. I think it's always necessary to use words, but also that we do preach the gospel with our life. Sitting around at work hating your job is not preaching the gospel to the people around you because what it shows is I don't trust that this is where God would have me in these moments. Sitting around at home complaining about how bad home is does not show trust that there's a God who orchestrated and directed everything. See, complaining is just the outward evidence of there's a lack of trust going on. And I'm not saying you have to love the situation you're in. I don't love every situation I've ever been in. And it's okay to be honest about that. Hey, how are you? I'm struggling. And I probably don't love the situation I'm in, but I trust God has me here for a reason. See, that's preaching a different story right there, isn't it? Because it ties right back into there's a God that I can trust. I think if I said today, like, who's in a situation right now that you don't really love, like most of us could be like, hey, here, me, if we were honest. And that's okay. God's not, I think in church somehow we learned, like, every time we come in, we're like, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Inside, we're like, I'm punching you in the face if you ask me that again. But, like, <laughs> on the outside, we, we've been trained to say I'm fine. You don't ever have to say you're fine to me. And I'm trying to retrain myself to not always say that to you. Because we're not always fine. See, this is a fallen, broken world, and horrible things happen here. 
But even in the horrible things, there's a God that says all things work together for the good of those that love me. So it's okay to not be okay. But on the back side of that, we always have to kind of point people back to the hope of the gospel of Jesus. That there is a God who has everything in his hands today. And he says, this is what God's doing in every place that we go. We're, we're meant to spread the scent of knowing Christ. We're just supposed to put off the odor that we know Jesus. Now, I thought about that, and I don't want to get into, like, too many object lessons today because I'm not big on all that stuff. But, you know, like, thank God everything in the planet doesn't smell like a dirty sock. Right? Like, how appetizing would cake be, which, by the way, is one of the most beautiful scents in the whole world, if it smelled like a dirty sock. I don't know that I would eat cake if it smelt like a dirty sock. See, there's distinct scents like on the planet, like things smell different because they are different. Garbage doesn't smell like um, burritos, hopefully. They smell different. And, and he says that our lives are supposed to smell different. That we are, in fact, supposed to be different than the people around us. It's a lesson we've lost somewhere in the church because we've been told, blend in, don't make too much noise, like don't try to act out of the ordinary. I wouldn't even wear the Jesus t-shirt unless you're going to hang out with Jesus people. Or we think that the whole difference of our life is I listen to a different radio station and blah, 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 blah. And it's not a different life. That's a different musical selection. But he says, we're supposed to be different. If your life smells like a dirty sock, then people don't want that, right? Oh, their life is horrible. They don't have any hope. They don't have any joy. They're so negative. They're like the meanest person that I've ever met. All they do is talk about people, blah, blah, blah. They don't want that Christ. I don't want that Christ. If he wasn't powerful enough to change you, I don't know what he's going to do for me. Fruits of the Spirit are... That's, I, I almost sent them to Sade, but I couldn't find any that weren't like little grapes for her to put on the wall. That's, that's a fragrance of knowing Christ. If you want to know what it looks like to follow Christ, that's just the, the, the underlying tone. Peace, joy, love. You can look up the rest. And that's the scent the world needs. Because that's what they don't have. This is in 15. For to God, or when God sees us, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Same scent. We're the scent of Christ. We're the fragrance of Christ. And there's two categories. There's those people that are going to be saved and those people that are not, and, and we're the same to both groups. We're not like different to different audiences. We're not treating people different or acting different. We're just living that life in front of both groups, and, and both groups will deal with them how they deal with them. It says in 16, to some we are a scent of death leading to death. Some people don't like it. Some people will not like your story. They will not like your life. They will be offended by how happy that you are sometimes. Like, that's just part of it, right? Some people are going to hear your words, and they're going to be like, I don't want those words. And that's part of it. It's not about the presenter. It's about what you're presenting. They don't have a problem with how you're saying it. They have a problem with what you're saying. 
Man, we need to sink our roots down deep into that truth. Because we think, what, like I need to know more, I'm saying it the wrong way, they're not ever going to come to it because X, Y, Z, and all those things are things that we think are on us. But in reality, just not everybody on the planet is going to accept that Christ is the Son of God. And you can't do anything to make someone that's not believe. If it's just not in them to believe, you can be the most like intellectual person on the planet and you can be the most eloquent speaker in the universe and you won't talk somebody into the gospel because it's a Holy Spirit power kind of thing. But there are people that to them we are a scent of life leading to life. They're going to they're gonna see what we got and they're going to be like, I want that. I want everything about that. I don't, I don't know why you got hope. Your life sucks. But I want whatever that is because my life does too, and I, I want that. I don't know why you love everybody because I hate everybody, but I want to love everybody. I don't know how you put up with that person. I want to hit them every time I see them. But, man, if you can do it, I can do it. I want whatever you got. Why are you so happy all the time? Why do you love people like that? Why are you so generous? That's a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. I know more than four. I know five. <laughs> why, why are you this way? Well, let me tell you. Because there's Christ in me. It matters. It matters how we live. It matters how we talk. It matters how we act. If it didn't, he wouldn't have wrote so many letters to the church saying, hey, do this. But what I want to say is we can't do anything to affect the outcome. We can just be obedient to the mission and the plan of God. Like, I love that. And I know some of us hear that and we're like, but this person needs to come to know Jesus. So that's true. There's a lot of people that need to come to know Jesus. And I'm not saying because they don't today, they never will. Because, you know, like it's God's time. And he's positioning people into the best place for them to see Christ in us. And some of that comes through like really hurtful things and painful things. And some of that comes through, man, I just, like my life crumbled. God's positioning people. And maybe today they're not in the best place, but six months from now they'll be in the best place. And we shouldn't quit, A, being Jesus, or B, presenting the gospel, because we never know the moment. I'm just saying, today we can take the pressure off our backs, because coming to know Jesus is a work of the Holy Spirit, not a work of my intellect and my eloquence. See, we've, we've bought into this lie that the Bible clearly refutes that it's on us if our neighbors and our family and our friends and our whoever come to know Jesus. It's, it's not on us. It's on us to be obedient to the purpose and the plan of God in our life. If people are going to know the gospel, if people are going to come to know Jesus, they have to hear the gospel. I don't think that's new news to anybody. 
If people are going to believe there's anything to Christ, they have to see that Christ is doing something in the people that claim to know Christ. But I've walked away from church before thinking, man, I just bombed that. And the truth is, a lot of times, that's true. But it doesn't keep God from working. (laughs) It's okay to get tripped up over your words. You get to watch me do it every week. It's okay to not have every answer. Some of you ask me questions, and I'm like, I don't know. I'll ask Google. There's nothing wrong with any of that. The, the thing that's wrong is that some of us have not engaged with God's purpose and plan in our life. Because we've used the excuse of, I'm not good at talking. And I don't know enough. And in none of those verses did he say, you know what, go get a seminary education and then you'll be ready to tell people about Jesus. He said, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And it's that you would be this display of Christ Jesus to everybody you're around. That's the purpose and plan. That's, that's the success in, in the economy of heaven. And you may share the gospel and you may live the gospel for the rest of your life. And, and, and nobody may ever be affected by that. I don't believe that to be true. But let's just say that nobody's ever affected by that. When you get into heaven, Jesus is going to lock eyes with you and he's going to say, well done. And you can look back and you can be like, but I don't have anybody with me. And he's going to look right back at you and he's going to say, well done. You're not responsible for their reaction today. You're responsible for your reaction to the plan and purpose of God for your life. And God's plan and purpose for your life is that everywhere you go, in every season, in every situation, you would be this beacon of Jesus. And that you would just trust that the Holy Spirit will take care of everything else. Anybody tracking with me today? He even acknowledges, like, right, who's competent for this? Who can do this? Who can take a dead heart and make it a live heart? Who? Jesus, you can't do that. Who can call somebody out of darkness into light? Jesus, you you can't do that. See, we, we know in us the answer, right? Like, this is impossible to save people. To which Jesus says, hey, with men, yeah, it's impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. See, the truth is today, wherever we are, and you start thinking down the list, right? Work. Are there people at your work that don't know Jesus? I'll be honest with you. Even if you work at church, yes. 
There might be moral people where you work, but there are lost people where you work. Or school or what corporation. And you may be like, how, how can I affect that? Like, I'm, I'm the dude that sweeps up the floor. That's great. Sweep up the floor with all the grace and mercy and love that Jesus could ever place in your heart and do the best job before men that you could ever do and look happy about it. Why are you happy about scrubbing that toilet? there's Christ in me you think every day I wake up and I'm like oh man I love teaching middle school you go hang out with middle schoolers there's a lot of them I love but even my middle schoolers that I love would tell you there's a lot of them that are a struggle you know why I'm there not so kids can play the B flat scale better I hope we do that. But because God's placed me there to be a beacon of Christ in that place, on the days I love and the days I hate, on the days I feel like somebody's getting something, and the days I feel like nobody cares that I exist, on the days I walk out the door thinking, I want to quit my job today, and the days I think, man, that was the most amazing thing. See, my purpose is not to get a paycheck and to teach people to do things. My purpose is to be Christ in in that place in those moments. And that's true in every place that I go. And it's true in every place that you go. And I'll be honest, when we get that, when we get that, everything else starts to like click into place. And we see God doing things that, man, we never really thought God could ever do. I'm like standing here right now like, man, God is so faithful. I'm preaching to me. I'm not preaching to you. We are where we are today in every place that we are today because God is positioning us into the place where the people around us can best see Christ in us. And if we could just wrap our lives around that truth and we could get out of bed with that like rocket fuel, it doesn't mean everything's great and everything's okay and we're just going to wash over that because stuff still sucks sometimes. But man, I've now got purpose to get through it. And I can trust that God's going to do something with it. And in that Moment, like Paul, I can say, hey, thank God. Thank God. Because he's putting me on display. Thank God because he wants people to see Christ and he wants to use me to do it. Thank God because he's woven me intimately into the story of the gospel. Thank God that he's placed me in this moment in these days for his glory. That in, in the worst moments of my life, God's still doing something and there's a purpose. And I can continue to plow through because God's going to do something on the other side of it. That's when you can sing in jail, by the way. And that's when the jailer will be changed. That's when you can say things like, hey, thank God I'm here because I'm not tethered to this situation. These people are tethered to me now. 
See, adversity is opportunity in the hand of God. When we live for the purpose and the plan of God that is the gospel in us. Let's pray.